All right. The book of Jonah. What do we know about it? Um, it's, an, it's an odd book. We are, uh, we are confident in its historical accuracy because Jesus quoted it. Jesus thought it was an extremely important book. And this coming Sunday, we're just going to deal with the first uh, 16 verses. I'm going to stop before we get to the fish. But uh, tonight, I want to introduce the book um, just a little bit to kind of uh, point us in uh, the right direction. Um, the, the book, um, Jonah, means dove. The, um, his name means dove. And so um, it's, a, it's an interesting um, a prophecy because, as we say in the title of our series, it, he never got it right. Uh, bonus prize for whoever can tell me the first word of Jonah and the last two words of Jonah. Uh, translated from the Hebrew. Anybody? So the first word is and. Yeah, pretty much. The, the first word is and. And oddly enough, 14 of the Old Testament prophecy books start with the word and. And it just lets us know that God's story is a continuing saga, that it's not a uh, it, it, this, this isn't a self-contained story. It wasn't meant to be that his prophecy begins with the word and. Now I'm going to give you a little teaser as to the last two words translated directly from the Hebrew, and you're going to have to wait four weeks to understand the meaning of them. Ready? But cows. Say that again. But cows. What cows? It's the last two words of the book. But cows. <laughs> so in, uh, in four weeks, I'll tell you why that's important. Uh, but it ends with and cows or but cows. And um, most unusual, abrupt, I think when we studied the gospel of Mark, we commented on how abrupt the ending was and that in some of your Bibles, there's a sort of an addendum that uh, is not found in the oldest manuscripts, but the, the abrupt ending of, uh, of Jonah, it just stops. And, uh, and it, it ends with the word, but cows. And so we're, we're talking in Jonah about the, um, the prophecy that was directed uh, not to the Israelites. It's, it's an odd audience, right? In that he doesn't really address the book. It's not like Jonah is standing on a soapbox saying, hear ye, hear ye. The whole story is one of Jonah uh, interacting with God, and we kind of get to be eavesdropping. And uh, I thought it was just really fascinating that uh, we are we are eavesdroppers in this um, in, in this whole deal, and um, and so Jonah 
is a, a prophecy that's directed towards Jonah and towards the reader. So, you know, a lot of times prophets talk to God on behalf of men, and a lot of times prophets talk to men on behalf of God. But in this particular case, the narrator just tells us a story of the interactions between God and the prophet, and then the, the uh, target of the prophet, the, the, the Ninevites, are sort of mentioned as an afterthought. So quickly, what is the book of Jonah about? Is it about a great fish that's only mentioned four times? Is it about a great city, Nineveh, that's named nine times? Is it about a disobedient prophet mentioned 18 times? <laughs> it's about God. He's mentioned 38 times in these 40, in these four chapters. And so the book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it. Um, this is a book that I ordered this week. Uh, it, it's a re-release. It's Tim Keller's book um, called Rediscovering Jonah. It's a real quick read, uh, a good read, a fairly cheap book to buy. Kindle, it's even cheaper. But um, I, I want to read to you just the, uh, one of the, the first descriptions in his book. He says, despite the literary sophistication of the text, many modern readers will dismiss the text because it tells us that Jonah was saved from the storm when he was swallowed by a great fish. So back to Bob's observation that there are some people, even pastors, who immaturely say, well, Jonah's just a fable. God put a, a story in the scripture uh, like a a children's story so that we could uh, learn a lesson from the fable. Keller says, how you respond to this will depend on how you read the rest of the Bible. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ, a far greater miracle, then there is nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. So I choose to read Jonah literally. I think the fish was real. I think the Phoenician sailors were real. I think the storm was real. I think the prophet was real. And I am very sure the city of Nineveh is real. Now, I uh, in the outline that you'll get this week, um, I, uh, I use the back of the outline to talk a little bit about inductive Bible study and, and to challenge you through the summer when we study Jonah in June and Philippians in July to challenge you a little bit to, uh, to practice inductive Bible study. Now, inductive as opposed to deductive is great to small, whereas deductive is small to great. Sherlock Holmes goes into a room and he finds a tiny hair in the carpet and it's a clue. So he finds a small clue 
and tries to build the bigger story. With deductive Bible study, we try to start with the grand story and we work our way into the key words, the key thoughts, the key passage, the key truths. What, what is that, that, that hair in the carpet that God wanted us to see when we looked at the big story first? So I gave some instructions in the, in the guide. So be sure you go to the website or pick up a card on Sunday morning and, uh, and, and maybe you'll accept my challenge with both reflective questions and inductive Bible study. With that in mind, let me ask you a question to start with. We, we read the, the book, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Anybody know where Nineveh is? Iraq. All right. And what city is currently where Nineveh was? Mosul. Yeah. Mosul. And uh, Gary, in his twisted sense of humor, wanted me to give you the standard greeting, Mosul Tov. <laughs> it's true. Good, Gary. Like so the ancient city of Nineveh was a great city, and just uh, in my notes, I've got a few of the uh, the passage. Um, it's a a level part of the plain where the Tigris and the Kosa rivers come together. It was a tremendous commercial town, um, central position in the great highway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. So it was, it was uh, whatever city you can think of that's right on the trade route. Everybody's got to go through that city. Um, it was settled as early as 6000 B.C., and it was uh, important, and perhaps the name comes from the worship of the goddess Ishtar. So it was a, a pagan temple, but it was, uh, it was settled on a fault line, so it had uh, earthquakes repeatedly. And one of those major earthquakes that was recorded was in 2260 B.C. by the uh, king... Uh, um, Manishtusu, who recorded it in his chronicles. So Nineveh is mentioned early and often as a great city of the Assyrians. Now, just as a, a bit of an FYI, uh, we're talking about a time period uh, somewhere, um, let's see, uh, maybe 800 BC, uh, 700 BC, seven, say 740 BC. So Jonah is written before the fall of the Northern Kingdom. And who conquered the Northern Kingdom? Assyria. Assyria. And so Nineveh was one of the capital cities of 
the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were some of the cruelest people uh, in the history of war. Um, they, uh, there's a, there's a rumor. We don't have any children present, right? Can I, can I do a, a graphic illustration? It is said that the Ninevites, that the Assyrians, if they captured a soldier in battle, they would cut off both of his legs and his arm. They would leave his right arm so they could shake his hand while he bled to death. Uh, incredibly cruel stories of the Assyrians. And there's lots of those kinds of illustrations. So the Assyrians are the ones who will conquer the Northern kingdom. And the Assyrians are the ones that God sent Jonah to witness to. So, so is this book about racism? Yeah, some of that. He hates these people. He, he hates all Assyrians. He hates all the Ninevites. He wished they would fall into a sinkhole and disappear from the earth. The last thing he wants to do is go and witness to them because number one, he's, he may be afraid they're going to cut off his legs and his arms and shake his hand while he bleeds to death. Or what if they repent? He, he doesn't want good things to happen to him. He certainly doesn't want God to save them. And, and so the, 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 the end of the story, we all know the end of the story, that the Ninevites did repent, uh, but it was short-lived because just um, a couple of decades later, they were the ones who conquered and enslaved the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, now, just a little bit of reminder, you remember that the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonians a short time later. So the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And in 587 B.C., 150 or so years later, the Babylonians conquered Judah. That tells us that in the meantime, the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. So their, uh, their, their victory lap over being spared destruction from God at the prophecy of Jonah was short-lived because the Babylonians uh, took over. And, um, and sadly, flashing to current times, the uh, ISIS, Islamic militants, seized Mosul in June of 2014, and they began to destroy the holy sites. So a mosque that's dedicated to the prophet Jonah and the actual city walls of the old Nineveh were damaged in ISIS's rampage in February of 2015. So Mosul was retaken by the Iraqi army, supported by the U.S. Uh, armed forces in 2017, and it remains in Iraqi hands. So that's a little bit of background. Any questions or additions to that? What a great book, huh? Well, let's dive into it. See if we can get through the first 16 verses in the next little while. So the, the book begins with the word and or now that tells us <clears throat> that is a continuation. He says, uh, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh 
and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Those, those nutty people are slaughtering enemy soldiers. They're, they're horrible people. And I want you to go tell them that I'm going to destroy them. It doesn't say I'm going to destroy them if they don't change their ways. He just says, go preach against them. Now, there's a wordplay in verse 2 and verse 3 that you need to know. Arise, go to Nineveh, and Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Those are from the same root word. It's a pun in Hebrew. It's a play on words. Arise, go to Nineveh. Arise, go into Tarshish. And if if Nineveh is Buckhead, then and and the Lord says, Alan, go to Buckhead. I said, okay, Alpharetta, it is. Because he went in the complete opposite direction of what the Lord told him to do. So Tarshish is going to be to the west of the promised land on the Mediterranean coast. The sailors in the ship that he will eventually get in are Phoenician sailors. And if you look at the map, the the area of the Phoenicians was Tyre and Sidon, kind of uh, where Lebanon meets Israel on a modern day map. So he was told to go west, to go east and north out of the promised land to modern day Iraq. So he was, he was going to travel uh, a, a lot of miles uh, from Palestine over to Assyria and his direction would be generally in the northeast direction. So instead, he goes due west to get away. So Jonah arose, arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. But Jonah arose, but he fled to Tarshish. Look at the next line. From the presence of the Lord. What's the problem with that? Never escaped the presence of the Lord. Didn't David write about that in Psalm 139? He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, the darkness is light from you. You know me, you formed me. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even King David, several hundred years earlier, captured the thought that you cannot flee from God's presence. What's the big $3 seminary word we use for that? I'm, I'm sitting looking out my window at the steeple of the chapel in the New Orleans Seminary. What's our $3 word for God's presence everywhere? Omnipotence. His, his omnipresence. Where can I go to flee from his spirit? I can't. I can't. And you know, for us, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, the metaphor of the storm as we break open the series, but 
in the storms of our lives, there's a lot of reasons that we flee from God's presence. We flee out of our own shame. We flee because at our core, we don't trust that that God is truly working all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. We, we think that our hole is too deep even for God to get us out of. And uh, just as your pastor, I, I join you in the emotion that sometimes we feel like the, the um, obstacles are just too great. And so that's why the first sermon in the series is called The Jonah in All of Us. Uh, George Duncan sent me a note. He says, I really appreciate you pointed out that, uh, as the poster said, the purpose of my life is to serve as a warning for others. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, there's, there's, there's no, uh, there's no place that we can go. And so Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. He went to Joppa. Anybody remember where that is? Today, it's called Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A. And if you look at a map, it is directly south of Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean coast. So when we fly into Israel, if the glide path takes us over the Mediterranean and over Jaffa, we, we would pass over Jaffa in the glide path. This is also the place where Peter in Acts chapter 10 had the vision at the home of the centurion. So uh, I think it's Acts chapter 10. Somebody uh, check my homework um, where uh, Peter is told to go to Jaffa and wait. That's the same city. So he's on the Mediterranean coast uh, trying to find a boat that uh, apparently just going due west was not far enough now he's gonna uh, try to go even further west to the end of the sea um yeah chapter 10 uh acts 10 uh verse 5 now send men to joppa and bring one simon who is called peter so the vision uh oddly and ironically and this is bonus coverage from your pastor just because i thought of it what was the vision in Acts chapter 10 about? That the, the unclean is declared clean. That now Peter would take the gospel to the nations. What did Jonah go to Joppa to avoid doing? <laughs> take, taking the gospel to the nations. So Joppa is an interesting little city, isn't it? Question. All right. So he paid the fare. He found a ship going to Tarshish, uh, which would be north. So he's trying to get even further away. And uh, he paid the fare and it repeats it away from the presence of the Lord. So, you know, there's, there's repeat um, every now and then for emphasis. And in verse three and in verse, uh, the end of verse three. So twice in verse three, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
and then it's repeated. So he bought the ticket and he went down to the ship to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So the, the narrator is emphatic in telling us that he's trying to run from God. And you and I want to whisper to Jonah, this is going to end badly. <laughs> but how many of us, how many of us, we get into a situation, we don't like what the Lord's told us to do. We tell him our way is better than his way. Our idea is better than his idea. And we run away from the presence of the Lord. Verse four, but the Lord, what's the, the word there? When it's written like that, how do we translate that word, Lord? Yahweh. Yahweh. When it's in uh, uh, all capital letters, then that's the personal name for God, Yahweh. That's not the, the reverential Adonai or Elohim. That's the personal name of God, uh, Yahweh. And so the Lord, the personal God, the one who called Jonah personally, the one who had an assignment for him personally, he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Um, we know from Paul's travels that the, that area of the Mediterranean is treacherous, and so uh, this does not surprise anybody who's reading this. Of course, if you if you go out during winter, or if you go out when the the wind is up coming off the Mediterranean, then the ship is is threatened to break up. These were Phoenician sailors, sailors, by the way, and and Phoenicians were recognized as being the best sailors in the world. Um, so, but they were afraid. Why do you think they were afraid? They were facing death. Yeah, but they identified the storm as something supernatural. They were experienced sailors. The the ESV calls them mariners. They were experienced sailors, and yet they recognized that something was different about this. They never would have gone from port if they thought that there was going to be a storm like this. So they recognize as experienced sailors that this is a storm that is not a normal storm. This is the perfect storm. This is the nor'easter. This is a hurricane. This is, is something they didn't know was coming. The skies didn't reveal it. What's, what's the, the old rhyme? Uh, Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailor take warning. Right. So they didn't take warning, even though they were experienced. So they have identified this storm as something supernatural. It's not, it's not a normal, uh, just uh, let's let's turn into the wind and ride this thing out. So they each cried out to his God. Again, they thought it was supernatural. So they cried out to their gods and they said, uh, uh, it, it, the, the, the word God is little g. So, so it's an acknowledgement. You know, God is not necessarily threatened by the existence of other gods. He's just jealous for our loyalty. He's jealous for our faithfulness. Uh, there, there's not a, 
a judgment here against the sailors for worshiping false gods. It says that each cried out to his own God, and then they started throwing cargo overboard. That's what sailors do. Lighten the ship. Get the water line. Uh, let's get us higher in the water. So they lightened it, but Jonah had laid, gone down to the inner part of the sleep and fallen asleep. Now, at first blush, you kind of want to say, well, that sounds a little bit like Jesus. You know, he, he went to sleep when there was a storm, too. And, and Jesus is very, um, he actually uh, does uh, somewhat uh, relate himself to Jonah. Um, and he says, Jonah was asleep. So the captain came, why do you sleep? Rise, call out to your God, little G. Assumed everybody has gods. Maybe your God's better than our gods. Maybe your God will give a thought to us so that we might not perish. So then they said, okay, somebody's got to take the fall for this deal. There's somebody that's to blame. This is not a normal storm. We hadn't really heard anything from our gods. Let's figure out who's cursed so that we can throw them overboard and be done with this. So they cast lots and they went, oh, no, it's the guy who bought the ticket. It's <laughs> not even the normal crew. This is this is the guy that's supposed to be our guest. He He's the guy that bought the ticket. What in the world are we going to do? And so they said, tell us what's going on. We, we know this is a supernatural storm. We believe that supernatural storms are judgment for something evil. What evil have you done? Tell us on whose account. What is your occupation? Uh, prophet. Okay. Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear whom? Yahweh. I, I, I acknowledge that I have a personal relationship with Yahweh. He made the sea. He made the dry land. He, he separated the, the water from the land. Your entire occupation is built around what God, Yahweh, did. And then they were afraid. What have you done? Why in the world would you tick off a God that's that great? What, what were you thinking? Boy, have we ever said that to our children? What in the world were you thinking? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told him. You can draw a line all the way back to verse 3 where he finally confessed that he was running from the presence of the Lord. And he acknowledged it as sin because they said, what have you done that has brought this evil on us? And he said, I have tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. So they said, okay, what are we going to do? You, you know your God better than we do. What do we have to do in order to make the sea quiet down? What do we have to do? To, to make this go away. And he said, uh, well, you have to throw me over. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea and it will quiet down. They didn't want to do this. 
how interesting that these Phoenicians had compassion over a human and, and he was supposed to go to the people that would cut his limbs off and shake his hand while he bled. So he, he fled away from God's presence to a place where men acted like they honored God. And they said, uh, uh, I, if you, you'll just have to throw me overboard. And nonetheless, the men rode hard. They said, well, we, we, let's do what we normally do. Let's not, let's not sacrifice a human if we don't have to. Let's not perish for this man's life. Let's not have innocent blood on us. And then they do something interesting at the end of verse 14. Did you catch it? Yeah, they called out to the Lord. So they addressed Yahweh as Yahweh. Way, way back in uh, verse 5, they each cried out to his God, little g. But all of a sudden here in 14, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Let us not lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It's like they had a, a foxhole conversion there in a very stormy sea. And they said, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Now, here's a great question for us to kick around for a few minutes. Did the Phoenician sailors become converts to God, to Yahweh? They well, the Bible says, then they feared the Lord greatly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That doesn't mean okay. they stuck for very long. Say those two words one more time. Made vows. They made vows. They're, the, the language there is poignant in that it says they made a covenant vow. They, uh, the, the, this is the same word vow where we get wedding vows, where, where two parties make a promise to each other of fidelity and of loyalty and of purity and of faithfulness. So they made vows. It, it's an interesting wordplay. They didn't just make sacrifices hoping that God would hear. They made vows. They, they connected on a personal level with Yahweh, and they made vows, for they feared him exceedingly. Now, most, pagan, most people pagan, they worship multiple gods. So of course. The God that they need, they just praise so. But something about the language here says that they threw the rest of them overboard with Jonah and they feared the Lord exceedingly. Compare the verse five with verse 16. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. So the object of their fear was the storm and the, the translation uses the word afraid. In verse 16, the translation uses the word feared, which is the reverential term more than it is the I'm terrified term. 
Uh, I fear the Lord. I honor the Lord. I revere the Lord. Uh, that, that's a different word than the word back in verse five, where it says they were afraid. Back then, the object of their fear was the storm and it was terror. Here, the object of their fear is the Lord and it's devotional. It's, it's I'm, I, I, I'm fearing the Lord. I'm, I'm honoring him. I'm attaching to him. Therefore, I made vows. Now, Keller does one more thing that's really kind of interesting here. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. In this story, Keller makes the point that the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, has some pretty decided parallels with the story of Jonah. Anybody want to kind of see what they are? They had to get to the end of themselves before they decided, gee, this is not a good idea. Maybe I should go back. All right. What else? The prodigal son said, okay, I... Let me go feed the the pigs in your in your yard. I'm not I'm not worthy of even being in your house anymore. And Jonah said, you know, go ahead, throw me overboard. I, I did this. I'm not, I'm not, you know, don't don't endanger yourselves, throw me overboard. Perfect. In the first part of Jonah, he runs away from whom? his father. In the parable of the prodigal son, the youngest son runs away from whom? His father. In the second half of Jonah's parable, he is, what is his attitude towards the Ninevites? He can't stand them. And he right. Them so he says, I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. Why don't you punish those who have run away from you? Why don't you punish uh, the, the Ninevites? They're far from you. They're evil. Why don't you punish them? Who does that remind you of in the parable? Older son. Older the son. older son. Keller made the point that in the first half of Jonah, you have the younger son. In the second half of Jonah, you have the older son. And that, that both are uh, symbols of an unwillingness to be reconciled with the father and with others. So that the story in the, in the parable, he's trying to point to the great love of the father and the whole of Jonah is trying to point to the great love of the father. Uh, it's, it's just fascinating that, uh, that, that, that parallel can be made. Um, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except 
the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus compared himself to Jonah. And on behalf of men, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jonah was in the belly of the whale because he was trying to run from God. Jesus was in the belly of the earth because all of us try to run from God. And him being the second Jonah, the, the illustration, of course, stops when you talk about Jonah's attitude and Jonah's uh, willingness but Emily, you're exactly right. There's a heart issue at hand here. And, and again, back to the, the story, the fish is mentioned only four times. Jonah is mentioned only 18 times. God is mentioned 38 times. The story is about the great love of God. One more little piece of irony. Do you know what Jonah's name means? Dove. The book about the prophet, the dove, is about an incredibly violent people being given a second chance by an incredibly uh, persuasive and steadfast God. Starts with the word and, and in this particular, and we're gonna we're gonna pick up on the fish next week. We won't we won't do that this time, but uh, in, in Jesus compares himself he said the verse 41 the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it he said our sin is worse than Nineveh Nineveh will be able to say they are righteous compared to us the queen of the south will rise up Egypt 12, 41. uh yeah Matthew 12 38 through 41 I'm sorry and then verse 42 so Jesus is pretty convinced that the story is important. And it is true. And that's why we study the prophecy in Jonah. Alan, what's the connection with Simon Barjona and Jonah? Well, Jonah is the Greek translation for John. So Barjona means son of John. And so the Hebrew that transliterates Jonah in the Greek would transliterate John. So Jonah's name really was, uh, they, they took the word John from it. And so Simon, son of John, bar Jonah, bar son of. Um, so it was just uh, the name Jonah would translate in the New Testament to John. I heard one preacher say it really translated. Simon bar Jonah was flighty as a dove. <sighs> The equivalent, is there any truth in that or connection with Jonah of the Old Testament being flighty as a dove? Certainly could, uh, certainly could. Um, we know that John's, uh, that that Simon's father was John, uh, but uh, it, it certainly could be a play on words of flighty as a dove uh, because certainly Peter was. And Jonah was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, team. Well, we have gotten a good start on it. I'm glad you're back. Glad we're back. Um, 
Gary, thank you for uh, making this possible for me to be able to do this all the way from the Crescent City. Uh, well done, Dr. McIntyre. Hey, um, uh, real quick, because there is something that between verses 11, we, I think we briefly talked about it at a, the creative meeting last week. Uh, it, it still strikes me as interesting that when you look in verse 11 of chapter one, they asked, what shall we do so that the sea may quiet down for us? And I find it incredibly interesting that Jonah at no point said, turn the boat around. <laughs> Sit, take me as close to Nineveh as you can. That would probably appease God's wrath. Instead, it seems he would much rather die than have to face the Ninevites and do what God wanted him to do. Um, wow. Any other observations? Alan, I, I have a funny story, I guess, the Sunday school stories. Uh, my nephew, whenever I think about Jonah, so he was about, he grew up in Sandersville. So he's about four years old. And um, after Sunday school, my brother asked him, so what did you learn in Sunday school? He said, well, we learned about Jesus and the whale. That's a joke. My brother, you know, he said, well, are you sure it was <laughs> Jesus and the whale? He said, yeah. He said, it wasn't Jonah? He said, no, no, it's Jesus. He said, so my brother's it's confused now. She said, well, tell me about the story. He said, well, Jesus was at the whale, and a woman came up to get some water. So, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> and the woman at the whale. Jesus, oh, Southern boy. That, that's All Sandersville. Right. Jesus and the whale. So All right. Was, uh, he got a huge stuck on it. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm guessing yeah. that was yeah. south. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll see you Sunday morning. Thanks for being with us tonight. Um, we're Jack Dempsey's. I'll uh, head for Jack Dempsey's and get some uh, fried seafood and baked macaron.